0: I just said, one of the verses that was not in Galatians but that we learned because it made a huge impression on us is John six twenty nine. And I did bring my glasses up so I could see better. They said, and I'm sure it must have been um, the Pharisees asking Jesus, John six twenty eight. they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Or the work, yeah, works, works of God. What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered them very simply, very simply, I added, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Simple and profound, that you believe in him whom he sent. Sent Jesus right. That's the work of God to believe in Him, Jesus. Now we so often think the work of God is our serving or whatever good thing that whatever thing we are good at doing. That's the work of God. Well, yes, He's given you things that He wants you to do, but so often we forget Jesus when we're doing. And that's why I said, it's not Jesus plus all your doings. It's Jesus only. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our life, it's about, Lord Jesus, I didn't do all that I thought I should have done, but thank you that you did everything for me. The work of God is to believe in him whom he sent. That's a daily work. So if you really want to get to know him, to believe in him and to do his work, you have to spend time in the word. And this, this has been a lifelong struggle and pursuit for me. Because at 14, when I was so excited, coming home and telling my mother I was going to keep a journal like she did, and it was so... January, I was ready to go again. I'm going to read through the Bible. I'd always get stuck in Leviticus or Numbers. (laughs) And finally, after a few years of trying to do that, I realized, okay, I was very familiar with the New Testament because we'd done Bible studies in the New Testament through high school. But the Lord showed me that he had some nuggets of gold in the Old Testament, many, many places. And Isaiah, of course, is one of my mother's and my favorite. uh, books in the Bible. But that work to believe in him whom he sent, the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and his glory. And so many Christians want to just ignore the Old Testament. It wasn't a different God. It was exactly the same God. So taking it in little bits really helps. Uh, Meaning the Old Testament taking it in little bits and just saying, Lord, how does this speak to me? How does what does your Holy Spirit want to say to me in this passage? And um, so, I would just encourage you to be patient and give time to reading, but don't try to rush through the Bible. Um, some people can and seem to absorb it all, but I can't. I'm not one of those people that can absorb a lot in a short period of time. So, little paragraph sections maybe a chapter but i want to remind you of the verse now because we're going to talk about i'm going to talk about parenting with grace the love of god is shed abroad through his holy spirit which is given to us god's love gave us jesus jesus gave us his holy spirit what a wonderful wonderful truth. We have the Holy Spirit if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, but we ignore the little, still, small voice because there are so many louder voices talking to us. The love of God is shed abroad through his Holy Spirit, which is given to us. He told us that the Spirit would guide us into all the truth. He told us the Spirit would show us what righteousness is, what judgment, good judgment is. He told us we would need the Holy Spirit because he was going on up to heaven. And you can imagine the desolation that those disciples must have felt when he went up to heaven. But he told them very kindly and very quietly, probably, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so each one of you, I will never forget a sermon from Henry Krobendam. Some of you might know of him. Dr. Henry Krobendam came to our church in South Carolina after we had moved from, North, from California to South Carolina. It was a huge change. And he preached in our church one Sunday. And I'll never forget how he said we are channels of the Holy Spirit to other people. So when we ask the Lord, and it says, keep on being filled with the Spirit, it is something we continually have to ask for, drink in, believe in, and rest in. That he has given us his Spirit, but that we need more of his love, or we need more of his patience, or we need more of his kindness, the nine fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. So he preached about Us being like a channel or a pitcher, but the pitcher has a spout at the bottom. So we go to God and we say, Lord, please help me to be kind to so-and-so. His love is shed abroad through the Holy Spirit. But where does it go? Does it stay in here? Okay, I have your love, Lord. Thank you. No, it is to go out and flow to all those that we need to be kind to or patient with. All of those fruit will, will work as we receive the Holy Spirit's work in us. And it's a growing thing. It is not, I got the Spirit when I became a Christian. I don't need to ask for more. There was an elder in our church that came to my husband after Krab and Dom preached and said, I didn't agree with him at all. He's preaching heresy. And my husband said, no, I don't believe he is preaching heresy. He said, well, I already had the Spirit. I don't need to ask for more. Well, he had a problem. Um, I won't say what the problem was, but it was an obvious problem. And doesn't the spirit give us self-control? And it was so sad to me and also angering me that he said, I don't need to ask for more of the spirit. I need more self-control some days. In other days, I need more gentleness. I need more of the spirit. I will need him all the way till I die. So Jesus dwelt among us full of grace and truth. First John 5, 3, his commandments are not burdensome. Let that sink in. His commandments are not burdensome. Yes, we read the Bible and think, oh my goodness, that is so hard to deny myself, to lay down my life. You have many things chances all day long to say yes to God and no to yourself. Many little chances, even taking a cup of coffee to your husband is a little death to yourself because you have to take the time to make it and take that cup of coffee. So he asks of us many little deaths throughout the day, but are there yeses mostly in your life or are there many no's in your life? And I have to tell you a story of my understanding of uh, sitting still. Before the Lord, because I am a doer. I love to move. I love to go out and garden. I love to go for walks. I want to play tennis with my husband. I really don't like to sit still very much. But the Lord has been slowly teaching me to sit still with His Word. And so one day, we had just moved to South North Carolina. We were planting a church. We didn't have a group of Christians yet to be friends with and to start the church with. And so I went to a Methodist church for a Bible study that was on prayer. And I was very happy to meet some other Christians who were seriously reading the word. And one of our assignments, it was actually at the very last chapter of the book on prayer, um, one of our assignments was to sit still for 20 minutes. And when I—and we were to do it during that Bible study that morning. Immediately, my heart said, no, I can't do that. I'd already had my devotions in the morning, so I didn't see why. (laughs) I'm not even sure that I had, but I'm just saying I was thinking, I can't sit still for 20 minutes. And our assignment was to imagine in our silence that we had a beautifully embroidered pillow in our hands, and we wanted to show this beautiful feather that came from some beautiful bird that God made. We're going to put a feather on top of this pillow. We're going to bring it to God as a little offering of our appreciation of the beauty of his creation. But he, but it said, here are some words in the books. Here are about 12, 13 words that were all good words, charity, uh, self-control. They weren't just the fruit of the Spirit. There were just many good words from the Bible. We were to choose one and think about that one word for 20 minutes. And I kept saying, no, I can't do that. So I'm reading through the list, and every word I was saying, no. Nope, can't do that. I cannot think on that word for 20 minutes. (laughs) I wasn't saying it out loud, but in my mind I was. Guess what the last word was? No, it was yes. I was saying no to all the words until I saw yes, and I thought, uh uh-oh, that's what the Lord wants me to think on. So I went to this youth group room. There were lots of Sunday school classes we could go to and found the youth group room, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be distracted by the posters or the crazy furniture and, you know, all the stuff that would be in a youth group room. But I just thought, okay, Lord, I'm really asking you to help me to focus on just the word yes. And literally the 20 minutes went by like that, and I really was shocked when the lady came to say, your 20 minutes are up, because I had been thinking about how often I said no to God. Yes was the word he wanted me to focus on. Yes, I was bringing him something beautiful, but it was to say yes to him when my husband or my two children who lived at home at that time would ask me to do something or could I help them with something, and I would say no, not now. I had my agenda first. This is after many years of knowing, sonship, knowing that the Holy Spirit would help me, knowing that I should be open to whatever he puts in front of me. But I was saying no. And I was recognizing in that 20 minutes how often I said no to my children or my family. And and then he was saying to me, I want you to say yes to me. Die to self, but say yes to me when somebody asks you for anything. Say yes to me. What is it that I'm asking you to do? So that was a lesson. That was, it's very vivid in my mind of um, how often we say no to God. No, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I'm not a sitting still person. But you can train yourself to sit still. Do we have the spirit of I can do all things, even difficult parenting through Christ who strengthens me? There are difficult children, and then there are some easier children. And I was shocked when my second-born came along because she was difficult. She was sweet and cute, and I'd had this first one who was obedient and compliant and had been wonderful to train, and I thought I was the greatest mother because Walter was very well-trained. And then comes Elizabeth, who questions everything I say, and argues, and fusses, and whines, and manipulates. And I did not understand that I was to be firm with her until she was about seven or eight. So I'd been through lots of arguments with her. When my husband says to me several times over the year of when she was seven, Val, you do argue with her a lot. Do you realize that? He hardly ever criticizes me. I said, yeah, you're right but I didn't really know how to handle this child who seemed to be quicker than me or seemed to have a better idea than me. And uh, I began to say, to help myself, Elizabeth, I am the mother. Right. I am the mother, and you will not argue with me. And I would tell my mother these stories of what Elizabeth argued with with me about, and she'd say, Val, I'm afraid, she is exactly like me, so she is my namesake. And yes, I argued with my mother. I said, really? She was second born also. And she argued with her mother. So that helped me to say to Elizabeth, I am the mother. You will not argue with me. And no, you may not have whatever it was she was asking for. And then comes Christiana, who's here. And she was sweet, sweet, wanting to please, just a delight to raise because she didn't argue with me. So... (laughs) The Lord gave me lots of um, opportunities to to ask for His Holy Spirit, to ask for His strength, His truth speaking through me when I was ready to be obedient. So, this talk is on parenting with grace, and I really need to watch the clock. I need to know what time I stop. Okay, to tell me again, is that clock right? 11.45. Okay, thank you. And one of my girls said that she would put up their hand when I was five minutes before 11.45, okay? <laughs> All right. I know I have failed my children many, many, many times. I'm thankful for being at the foot of the cross and knowing that Jesus is perfect, and my Father is perfect, and I am not, but he is my helper. And I am so thankful but he doesn't keep account. He doesn't say, Val, you did this in that year. Remember? Remember how you did that and now you're doing it again? No, he doesn't say that to us. He doesn't keep account of our sins. Our children may keep account of our sins, but our Father does not. The cross shows me continually his forgiveness is unending. He is always ready to help us make a new beginning. There's not a time in our lives, even if we've been Christians for 60 years, 70 years, there's not a time that he says, well, it's too bad. You've been long enough with me. I'm mad at you this time. He doesn't do that. He's always ready to help us make a new beginning. Remembering that we all fail at loving God perfectly with all our heart, mind, and strength. We all want to be a perfect person, don't we? We want to look good. We want to do well at what we're supposed to do. And when we don't do well, we beat ourselves up. And we know that we can't be absolutely perfect. But coming to the throne of grace regularly for his help, his kindness, his forgiveness, his strength, his energy, all his good gifts are ready to be given to us. We just need to ask. That's why he says, knock on the door, ask, and it will be given to you. I'm afraid that's my phone. I'm sorry. It's it's an alarm that I would usually use on a Saturday at home when we have a family chat, so I'm sorry that it's still on. You can find it in that green bag. Sorry, Christiana's coming running (laughs) up. Thank you, girls. Christ is the living word of God, so when we sit with his word in front of us, Christ is the word, we are reading the living word word of God. It is not old hat. It's not dull history. It's real and active and alive. And that's why we have the word to use it for his glory. So we can absorb it when we ask for his help to absorb it. I have been very aware at times that I'm trying to decide what to do in the next hour. And one voice says, you have to do this quiet voice, I'm not aware sometimes at the beginning of my argument in my head, there's a very still small voice that says you need to do this first. I will often ignore that still small voice, and I'll go do the thing that I think needs to be done right now. Later on, realize if I had done the thing that the still small voice was saying, you know, I, I really mean that it's this argument going on, and so often I'm not aware that it's between me and the Lord. The argument is going on. It's just this other idea that I'm think is I'm thinking which idea is better. Mm, I like this one better. It's my it's my idea that I like better. And the Lord is showing me continually, I mean throughout my life I've seen this happen. If I listen to the still small voice and do the thing that I know I'm supposed to do then things work out. The timing is wonderful. It's amazing. I cannot say that I do that that often enough, I go do what I think I should do first. But when I'm reminded that it's the Holy Spirit, then I know I must bow to His authority, and He is going to be quiet. He is not. Um, he's not overbearing. He's not yelling. It's a still, small voice. So I, I've already talked about the failure of being consistent with reading the Bible, um, and this talk on Parenting with Grace, when I've talked to Walt about people ask us to speak on parenting because we have eight children, he would say we shouldn't be speaking on we, would, we are not, we weren't good parents. And I would say, but honey, the Lord did help us some. I mean, we do have a few. It's not like we have successes. It's just simply that we knew the Lord had given us each of those children, and we knew that there were some times when we did make a good decision about what needed to be done. But he says, but we don't have a, a formula. I said, of course, we're not supposed to have a formula to give to people. Parenting with grace really does mean Depending on the grace of God to help you and the wisdom of God. And I cannot, uh, with with a plaid shirt on, could you get the book Parenting out of that green bag for me? I'm sorry. Right there. Yeah. Uh, Parenting by Paul David Tripp is absolutely fantastic. How many of you have read it or seen it? Maybe at six? All right. Things from here because it is, even though my husband and I are past the parenting stage, these are things that were a little glimmer in our mind when we were raising children. Uh, They were, again with sonship, we began to understand the grace as we talked to our children, the grace of God. And as I said, the last two children, the ones, I, I don't think I finished my sentence about that. When I had to discipline them, and one was difficult and one was not, I would take them, always. always took children to the bathroom to discipline them because I wanted to do it away from the rest of the family, or my husband would take them. I remember the sense of the Spirit helping me to talk seriously and softly. Do also remember times when I was so upset that I didn't have the self-control of the Holy Spirit. So that still small voice and that presence of the Spirit, because of sonship, was more uh, I was more aware of and more active in me when I went to discipline the children. Uh, the last two. And of course, I still had to discipline the ones that are four, six, eight, but usually. The spankings were ended by the age of four-ish. They knew the parents' word had to be obeyed. And so anyway, my husband still says, oh, Val, we cannot talk on parenting. He, 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 He thinks of himself as a failure. Well, so do I. But what is in our hearts as truth is his word. And that's what we need. So parenting with grace is simply parenting with the Holy Spirit's help. And this book, I have to read some little passages. Um, I would highly recommend those of you who have children at home to read this book. I mean, it is really good. The value of parenting goes to the heart of what God has designed every human being to know and to be. To lose this thing is literally to lose a piece of your humanity. the section is chap- uh, titled, Here's how God values parents. Parenting gets to the core of what should motivate motivate every thought, desire, word, decision, or action that every human being has ever taken. Parenting gets to the core. There is nothing in the life of any child ever born that is more needed than this. This is the thing that makes parenting of highest importance. Holy in the true sense of what that word means. This should be the goal at the bottom of all the things you do and all the things you want for your children. To lose sight of this is to miss the point of parenting. Read that first first line again. The value of parenting goes to the heart of what God has designed every human being to know and to be. So this should be the goal at the bottom of all the things you do all the things you want for your children, to lose sight of this is to miss the point of parenting. To lose sight of this removes the tracks that give direction to all that you do with each of your children. This is the thing that should, in, that satisfies, sorry, should satisfy you on those good days with your children and keep you motivated on the very hard days with them. This really is the central task that makes your work as a parent a treasure of extreme value. Pay attention to Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That means using your body to love the Lord. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules? You shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and tell them that story. I just I could practically read the whole book and not give you my talk but anyway <laughs> it, is, it is very very good. The problem is that the children have little understanding, sorry, we all have little understanding of present grace. We know about the future grace we're going to heaven. We know about the grace of first coming to Christ and knowing that he's forgiven us. but the present grace, the right here right now, benefits of the work of Christ for all of us living between the already past grace and the not yet future grace, vast numbers of parents think that the phrase the gospel of God's grace has nothing to do with, sorry, I need my glasses again, has nothing to do with the exhaustion they, seem to, they can't seem to shake or the anger they can't seem to defeat or the street-level wisdom they feel they lack or the need for the break they never seem to get. They hear sermons about God's grace, and they sing songs about God's grace, but these don't seem to address their struggles as parents. Shouldn't they address struggles as parents? In fact, it seems that what they're getting is anything but grace. Well, there's nobody able to do the parenting well. Christ is able in us to help us do the parenting. And the most one of the most important things we can do with our children when we have sinned against them is to ask forgiveness and to admit the sin. Some of you had fathers or mothers who never admitted that they did anything wrong. And that made a hard relationship, made the relationship hard. Everything else God calls people to Like everything else God calls people to, God doesn't call people to be parents because they are able. He gives us these gifts so that we can depend on him to help us parent them. So it is not about raising children for our own pleasure, or our own own glory, or our own expectations. And of course we all have expectations when we have children. We all think that... um, they should grow up to do such and such. Sometimes parents live in the, I uh, can't think of the word, but we're putting our what we had hoped to do upon our children and expecting them to do even better than we did or do the thing that we never got to do, and that's wrong. As God is our parent, we need his parenting us continually till we die so that we can continue to parent the children that we've been given up until they're 21-ish. Know, 18 to 21. Um, if the young person who's past 21 actually wants to talk to you about his grace, God's grace, and wants to talk to you about parenting, that is a wonderful gift. But many children really don't want to hear from their parents once they've left home. So again, it's not about raising them for our own pleasure. It's about preparing them for the responsibility they have as adults before mm-hmm. God. And I am, my husband and I have learned to pray more and talk less. Of course, none of our children are at home anymore. Um, There's another chapter in this book where we get, it talks about how we get easily frustrated and angry because we're parenting for our own high expectations of our children. We're not parenting for God's glory. What this child is going to accomplish is because I've trained him to do such and such so well, or I've trained him to be obedient. And in our hearts, often without our recognizing, again, we're hoping they will make us look good. We want to look good, just like Pharisees. Where and what are your fears as you parent? Why are we biting and devouring our husbands or our children? I fear that my children wouldn't grow up to be godly adults, good citizens, responsible. And my husband had to disabuse me of that when he said, Walter's hair is long. We're going to leave it long. You're not going to worry about it. You're going to learn to smile at him. And I remember practicing smiling at my son instead of frowning at him because I didn't like his long hair. Our lives in parenting need to show God, show that God is good, God is kind, God is gentle. And so we must use our voices in gentle ways, even the word no to the child. Now, I I have a friend from our South Carolina church who had about three or four biological children and then adopted about seven or eight more. And um, she had the softest, quietest voice. I remember seeing her correct one of her boys who was running around the church, and she was talking very quietly. And I remember my mother saying, when you're very serious, you don't need to yell. You just talk very quietly. The child needs to see the face, see the eyes, meeting their eyes. The child needs to hear the voice of authority. So many young parents don't seem to get that they have authority over the child. They have to train the child. They don't even use the word training, I don't think, in modern-day behavioral study books teaching children. We have to train them to be respectful. We have to train them to be obedient. We have to train them to love and honor, love their siblings. We have to train them to honor us. We can't make their hearts love us. We can't make their hearts love God. There was a a period of time when I thought I should be able to make them. Because I was such a loving and wonderful mother, of course. No, but simply because I thought with the right training, you know, consistency, of course I didn't see myself as consistent, so that's why I felt like a failure. But I am unable all the time. He is always able. So God is with you in your training. And the grace of God, again, the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts because of His Spirit in us. We given the ability to have self-control. Now, yes, we'll lose it. Yes, we'll sin. But we have the cross to go back to. And so the cross has to loom larger and larger in our sights. Our sins are thrown into the sea as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us over and over and over again. And all we can do is come as a little child to our parent, our father, and say, Father, I did it again. I blew it. I raised my voice angrily at my child. And I will never forget breakfast time, All probably all eight children around the table, and I always had the same the basic routine was um, they all went to do a couple of chores, and then they started on their workbook, schoolwork first, And I was cleaning up the kitchen. I enjoy cleaning up the kitchen when everybody else is out of the way and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I remember hearing some craziness, fun going on in one of the bedrooms. And so I went roaring up the stairs. Well, the more I was washing the dishes, the more angry I was getting as I was hearing that they were not doing, I was quite sure they weren't doing exactly what I had told them. And uh, so I went roaring up the stairs, threw open the door where two girls were in there. They had placed all their ponies All their little stables, all the little hay piles, all the equipment for playing with horses, and they had begun. And I said, what are you doing? What did Mama tell you? At breakfast, you're to go and do your chore, brush your teeth, make your bed, and then you start on your schoolwork. I was yelling. And this poor little girl said, Mama, don't, don't yell at me. She was cringing. Don't yell at me. And inside, I thought, I have a right to yell. I literally thought that I have a right. I was so angry. And then the Holy Spirit said, I'm sorry. I, I said to her, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be yelling. But you do remember. No, I don't remember. Well, that was, that was a common answer. <laughs> no, I don't remember. So I went into my closet. I had a huge closet at that time. And uh, got down on my knees I said, Lord, please forgive me for the anger that welled up and for my yelling at my child, but please take this tendency away so that I will not yell at my children. And I sat still, and I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not going to take it away because you need me every hour. You need the cross, you need what Jesus did for you. And if you got perfect in this area where you don't yell anymore, then you would have something you'd hold over other mothers' heads. Oh, no, I don't yell anymore. I learned not to yell. You know, we don't want that. We don't want that spirit of, oh, I, I got that down. No, I, he was showing me that I needed him to give me self-control. That was a big lesson for me that day, and I'm so thankful so thankful for the cross and so thankful for his Holy Spirit. And maybe maybe the yelling diminished a little over the next few years because, of course, at different ages, <clears throat> you're not having quite so many little battles over the certain things that needed to be done. But we, are need, we need to be kept humble because we need his grace to keep going we need his strength to keep going what is the true gift what is the true goal of raising children did he give them to us as real gifts could you nod your heads yes or no did he give them to us as real gifts
1: <laughs> the answer
0: is yes or is he trying to frustrate tease and anger us of course the child's personality can make us frustrated, but he gave them to us as gifts so that we would learn how to be parented by him, continually learning to listen, to obey, to read his word, that we would learn that we're not honoring God when we're being inconsistent or dis, or, or um, yelling, we're not honoring him as our authority. And then they won't want to honor us if we're not honoring him. If they're mean to their siblings or their other children are mean to, I mean, if they're mean to children that they don't, aren't familiarly related to, God is going to help us to teach them to reach out and be kind to those that are difficult. And so the true goal of raising children is to accept the gift as from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. And so by his grace, we will teach and train our children to live humbly, repenting, coming to the cross again and again and again, lifting that cross up bigger and higher every time we sin. The sins have been thrown into the sea, and God has forgotten them. But he is showing us throughout our lives until we die that we still have the sinful nature. Yes, it ha- I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. Do we live in that acceptance of his gifts and say, Lord, these are yours. By your grace, you will raise them up, but use us to be your humble, quieting servants. The more we yell, the more the children will be out of control. The more we can learn a quiet, still, and serious voice the children will respect the parents. And, of course, love. <laughs> love is the difference. If we're yelling at them, we don't really love them, do we? Because it's all about how we look. How could you do that to me? How could you do that in front of so-and-so? That's all about my image. But God gave us children so we could grow up and learn his parenting. And my husband said he started growing up when God started giving us children. Um, he took our firstborn as a newborn. We were in a low ceilinged house of his parents. And he said, Walter! And he crashed him up against the beam. <laughs> and he was horrified at himself. You know, how could I do that to my newborn? <laughs> the baby made it through. It was really okay. <laughs> Oh, how we need his grace. Oh, how we need his Holy Spirit. So many parents are living in a hole in their grasp of God's grace. We can't understand that, that, that his grace is present with us. Like I said, we look forward to the future grace. We're so thankful for the cross and his forgiving us. But do we know his grace is with us? When I had that 20-minute session of saying yes to God, it was, again, another revelation of he is with me. He wants me to say yes to him. He is worthy to say yes to. Is he worthy of honoring? Yes. Are the children worthy of honoring us? There's a hard question. (laughs) They are sinners. They have to be trained to honor. Parents. Um, So if 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 parents are in the middle of a hole in their grasp of God's grace, learning this present grace, this walking with Christ now, is so hope-filling and help helpful because it's enriching that we recognize He's training me as I'm trying to train my children. I constantly need his training. So that's why we constantly need his book of truth. It needs to be said and explained. Sorry, wrong page. Why would a God of perfect wisdom ask inadequate people to do such an important job? The answer is so important to grasp. God calls unable people to do important things because ultimately what he's working on is not your immediate success but that you would come to know him, to love him, to rest in his grace, and to live for his glory. Am I willing to come to know him? And am I, am I willing to be disciplined by him? Do I truly want his glory, or do I want my glory? God is wanting to help us with this. He is near. He is not far. And those verses, again, from Isaiah 30, 15 to 18, became my mantra. Return and rest. Return and rest. And then Romans 10, 8. I'll read that quickly to you. Some of you might know it already, but I don't know it in my head. <clears throat> Where's Romans anyway? It's after Acts, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Romans ten eight. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes, we will fail our children. Yes, we will sin against them. But God is beyond beyond gracious in forgiving us and helping us. But he wants us to come to him. Couple more verses that have, and I know there's one in the little booklet which I didn't write down in my uh, talk here. Somebody can call that out in the booklet for this talk. There's a couple verses. Thank you. By the way, I do want to give my father's favorite verse which I forgot to do in the first talk last night. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16. We'll give that to you now. Um, and that's not the one I'm thinking of. Sorry. I'll read it anyway. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, or the child of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the scripture that he gave to my mother as one of the first verses to remind her of what it meant to follow Christ. Five minutes. Okay. Thank you. Um, Share. This is 2 Timothy 2. Three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him mother and father sat on a bench in a cemetery the night that my father declared his love to her right before she graduated from college, and he said to her, but we have to die to our feelings because I think God has called me to be single. It was like a stone of shock and and the heavy weight of bad news hitting her heart when he said, I have fallen in love with you, but I think God is calling me to be a single missionary. They sat in silence, in near midnight, in a cemetery, and there was a, <clears throat> a stone cross behind them. The moon was rising, and the picture, or the shadow, of the cross fell in front of them, right between them. Mm. And They contemplated the fact that they needed to die to their feelings. I was reading the book devotedly to my husband, and he just he'd get very upset with my father quite a few times because of the things he would say to my mother. And um he said, I don't I still don't understand why he didn't why he didn't go ahead and ask her to marry him. And I said, He thought God had called him to be single, but his father had been a big voice in that. His father had said to him, I think God is calling you to be a single man. So he loved his father and he was trying to honor what his father had said. So <clears throat> share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's not just missionaries who go out who have to share in that suffering. We die to self many little deaths we make all day long saying, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do instead of what I want to do. It's not about raising these children for your own pleasure. It's about appropriating his grace, which he has given to you by teaching them lovingly seriously to be obedient to be honoring and respectful to be kind my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net Psalm 25 says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant live for him ladies whether you have children at home or not you are to daily minute by minute, ask him to help you to honor him. And he's teaching you that through his Holy Spirit. All glory be to him that he has given us his Holy Spirit. That's what parenting with grace, even grand- grandparenting with grace is all about. Asking the Holy Spirit what it is he wants us to say to those grandchildren. Lord Jesus, God our Father, Holy Spirit, we are so grateful to belong to you. We have no hope if you had not sent Jesus to be our Savior. We have eternity to look forward to, not just singing hallelujahs, but doing your work. Lord, as St. Augustine said, make us a hallelujah from, from head to foot. Make our bodies, our lives, a hallelujah to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you that it is never ending as you pour out your love for us. Your love is wider and deeper than the ocean depths. We praise you and thank you, Father, for this day. We ask for safety as some of us go on hikes. We ask for your blessing as we talk with each other and help us, Lord, not to be so full of ourselves. Deliver us as my mother's Headmaster at Prairie Bible Institute said, Deliver us, O Lord, from our sad, sweet, stinking selves. In Jesus' name, Amen.